Well, hello there. Welcome back to episode two of the Mysteriously Eclectic podcast. This is B, and I'm joined again with Aaron. Hey. And this episode is called Weirdness in the Woods. Ooh. So, Aaron, do you like camping? I'm def- definitely. My <laughs> um, family and I actually owned a campground. So, yeah. Yeah. Really big Totally fan trick it. question. I totally know the answer to that. But, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I like camping. Um, I, I, you know, I mean, we did it a lot growing up, but it's not as much as you did, but yeah. what about hunting? Have you ever been hunting? I have never been hunting. I don't think I could handle it. And Same. like, I mean, I'm glad there are people out there that do that and can provide for themselves. But if I ever shot and killed an animal, I don't think I'd ever be able to eat that animal ever again. I would just yeah. be too emotional. I, I can like barely eat normal animals that people eat. For any listeners out there, um, I'm kind of like a closet vegetarian. <laughs> I don't really know what that means, but um, I, yeah, there's no way I would feel too bad. Um, in a past life when I was a little kid, I did shoot a squirrel once. Um, and I feel like that still kind of haunts my dreams. So um, yeah, I don't do hunting. So, but out here in Wisconsin, we have a lot of woods and I'd say I've spent, I've spent a far amount of time out in the woods in my life and the woods can be kind of a creepy place. There's a certain amount of vulnerability that happens when you're alone out in the elements. So it's no surprise that there are a lot of strange stories about things happening out in the wilderness. So let's take a journey into the spooky, sleepy pines and see if we can unpack some of the mystery that is weirdness in the woods. So I have a bunch of different stories for you today. And each of these stories is kind of looking at like the weird happenings in the woods through a different lens of strange. And each comes at the weirdness from a different angle. So you'll have to know, let me know in the end, do you all think it's connected? Do you think it's weirdness coming from the same place? Do you think they're all separate things? Just kind of keep those questions in the back of your mind while we keep going. So this first account I came across in Missing 411, The Hunted with David Politis. Now, Aaron, have you ever heard of Missing 411 before? Yes. You have. Okay. Yeah. I've listened to a few um, but not like a ton of them. So yeah. I'm I'm aware of the the general. Okay. So now I shouldn't, I should preface this by saying this episode is not about missing 411, <laughs> which is one of my favorite weird topics. And we will definitely do a whole episode on missing 411, but it's basically a phenomenon where these people disappear out in the wilderness in like a very specific set of circumstances. So we'll do a, an episode on that, but at the end of this one documentary that David Politis did, and he's primarily an author, but he did put together a couple documentaries. And at the end of this, there's like these two just little nuggets that he puts at the end of the documentary. And 
I mean, to be honest, like when you watch, it's a great documentary. I like, I highly recommend it to anyone. I'll link to it in the show notes, but um, it, it's kind of weird how these like last little stories are just kind of like tacked on there. So I incorporated into this because they, they fit the theme of what we're talking about here. Like perfect. So let's tackle this first one. So tuck Deep in the mountains, just outside of the Yosemite National Park, is a camp called Camp Sierra. It's just an informal camp between friends deep inside the National Forest. There isn't electricity. And when I say camp, it's really just a shelter of like trees leaned together. So not a cabin. It's just literally trees that were kind of like pushed together in sort of a teepee situation. And they put a big log in front of the door or in, in front of it as like a door. Oh, so geez. very informal. <laughs> um, and it's eight miles into the woods with a 4,000 foot elevation change. And it's only reachable via horse. So yeah, not my kind of camping. I need, I need a camper. Same Z's. Yes, yeah. definitely. So very secluded to say the least. And I should also mention that this camp was a sober camp, which also not my type of camping, I should say, <laughs> but they didn't allow any type of drinking or drugs, no wacky tobacco, nothing like that. Um, and these were all very seasoned hunters and outdoorsmen. So considering they were sober and people who are out in the woods all the time, it kind of rules out any obvious misidentification. So it's not like someone like me who's dropped in the middle of the woods and scared and assuming everything is some type of animal that's like capable of killing me. So they were not these people. Nice. Well, that's good. Yes. <laughs> so in 1971, this phenomena kind of started and it would, it would occur around dusk. They would start hearing these whooping noises followed by sort of a gibberish speaking noise. And it was almost like a different language. And the whooping noises reminded me a little of a loon. Now, Erin, do you know what a loon sounds like out in the, out in the wild? Yes. And as soon as you said whooping noises, just random side story. I don't know if you've ever watched The Middle, but there is a character on there who makes random whooping noises. And oh. my husband and I will do that all the time to each other now after watching that show. <laughs> well, maybe that is what this is. So, so yeah, as I continue, I'm picturing it. keep that in mind. <laughs> so now this, this thing, whatever it is, it's clearly not a loon. And I'm a Minnesotan originally, so loons are like a big thing out there. So that's what I kind of associated this whooping sound with. I'm not going to try to imitate it, <laughs> but oh, no, uh, no. <laughs> but it's, it's very, it was like this distinct, creepy whooping noise. So the voices would also mimic noises that were made by the humans. So if a human called out trying to like mimic this noise, the creature, animal, whatever this thing is, would respond. So they actually made a recording of these sounds and they were sent to the University of Wyoming. And it was found, a couple things here, that based off the pitches, like, you know, the high and the low, it was probably about seven foot, three inches to eight feet tall. So very big. Oh. There was more than one creature or animal recorded and sometimes those noises would overlap each other so like they were talking over each other 
Um, and the pitches, they couldn't, some of the pitches could not have been made by humans. They're just simply not within our vocal range. They're either too high or too low. Um, and there was also no indication of tampering with the recording. So keep in mind, this was 1971. So the options for what they had available to them were far more limited than what we have today. So with these voices and the sound overlapping each other, there just wasn't any known way to fake it. So you can actually hear this. If you go um, on the documentary that I'm linking, you can actually hear a pretty substantial clip of these weird noises. But that wasn't the only thing that was happening there. I mean, if that's not creepy enough, because that would have been enough for me to say, okay, see ya. <laughs> yeah, I'm already freaked out. Yes. <laughs> Why did you have me record this at night? I'm so... <laughs> I know. So I am actually sitting in my basement, which is a little bit of a creepy place to begin with. We've had some weird ghostly happenings and I'm outside of a pitch black window with no blinds. So I, yeah. And yeah. I'm going to have to let my little baby puppy out <laughs> probably 30 times tonight in the middle of the dark. So this was probably a poor choice, but I know I am the same. I am next to a window with no blinds. So this, yes. is, this is fun. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> okay. So I digress. Um, so there's other things that happened at this camp as well. Um, they'd hear a huge tuning fork noise that sounded like it was something above them. They would hear noises off of their camp, like their camp was being torn apart. Like they'd be in that little shelter thing and it sounded like, you know, things were getting picked up and moved around. But then when they would get up in the morning, nothing was disturbed. You know, it sounded like a bear was ripping through things, but everything was as it should have been. Um, and another thing that they reported was hearing a car door shut. And what's fascinating, I mean, first of all, keep in, keep in mind, this is like way off in the woods. You can't even get there by car. And so to hear a car door shut is just simply not like a thing. But this is something that's been reported in other paranormal activity, um, specifically by John Keel. And John Keel wrote um, the Mothman story, the original, not the movie, but the actual story. And we'll do an episode on that. But um, he did a lot of research into that. And one of the things that he found was that noise, that car door noise. So there was also other things too. There was unidentified lights. Um, they watched this blue ball slowly floating around like it was under some type of control and also an elongated tube at one point. So it was like a lightsaber that would kind of like float around and they would just watch it. So all these things happened throughout the years. And a couple of years ago, they were actually told that they could not have this shelter and the forestry service made them destroy it, which to me is kind of weird because it wasn't even like a shelter. I mean, you could say, okay, maybe it's man-made because they pushed these trees together, but it was all natural materials. So I just found that strange. Did so. they give them a reason? Um, not really. Um, the documentary kind of just said, well, you know, we weren't allowed to have it. And that was that. Okay. So I don't know. I thought that that was a little strange. Also considering some of the other parallels that this has with some of the other stories. Hmm. Okay. So our next story comes from the same documentary. Um, 
And this one was in Lima, Ohio, and a more recent story. This actually happened in 2010. And oddly enough, this experience actually happened to the wife of a renowned optical physicist by the name of Bruce Maccabee. And his wife, Joan, she was another super avid hunter, outdoorsman, was out there all the time. And she was out in the woods one evening. And when I say evening, I don't mean, you know, dark because she was hunting, <laughs> mm -hmm. but it was, you know, later on in the, in the, in the afternoon, late afternoon. And it was like after school time, because she said she could hear a marching band practicing at a local high school. And she could like hear it off in the distance, which also kind of makes me think that that's probably not the best hunting conditions, but yeah, really again. Yeah, not, not a hunter. So I don't know. Maybe I don't know what I'm talking about, but their land was about 45 acres. So she's sitting in the woods and all of a sudden something caught her eye in the tree line, but it wasn't really a thing, more of like a distortion. Maybe she said it was almost as if you were looking through a piece of plastic wrap. And that just kind of like weird distortion. And it was way up in the trees. And as she's watching this distortion, it kind of extends from one tree to the other. And then all at once, like sucks itself over to the other tree. So imagine how like an orangutan moves, like it swings from tree to tree. That's kind of what this weird distortion thing was doing. Hmm. So she also noticed while this was happening that there was just the absence of forest noises, no birds, no bugs, no marching band that she could hear before. It was absolutely silent. And this absence of noise is another super common thing in paranormal experiences, especially those that are happening in the woods. And it's referred to as the Oz effect. Now, have you heard of the Oz effect before this, Erin? So I was going to say, I have... I was going to be like, there's trouble right there when everything goes silent, yes. but I didn't know it was called the Oz effect, but I have heard of that happening. Yes. Yes. I, I don't really know why it's caused the, called the Oz effect, but, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's a thing. Um, and it's a red flag spells trouble with a capital T and that so, rhymes with P and that stands for pool. Yay. <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, if anyone gets the reference, please leave us a comment. Yes, please. <laughs> You'll get a uh, mysterious eclectic podcast point. <laughs> just one. Yes, just one. It's not good for anything, but <laughs> bragging rights. So Joan happened to have her cell phone with her and had been snapping tree stand selfies, which I felt kind of bad for her because they had to sort of show these selfies <laughs> in order to show the evidence of the picture. And oh, no. it was just the ultimate like, oh, caught taking a shameless selfie. But anyway, so she took some tree stand selfies prior to this weird blob thing. And she actually snapped a photo of the blob and so she brought it back to her husband who again optical physicist so he's the he's the guy to view this sort of thing and the pictures before had a normal resolution so she had a blackberry um again this was 2010 so it's whatever the standard resolution that a blackberry would take but the one photo of the blob had this weird resolution that wasn't even an option in the phone bruce the physicist husband guy he wasn't even sure how someone would 
do this. Like you'd have to somehow go into the phone and change it, but it's not like you could just select it as a setting. So I'm picturing like, I don't know if you ever work with Canva or something like that, where you can go in and you can change like pixel resolutions. That's kind of what this was like. And it's just something that wouldn't even be in the phone. So the picture itself too was strange. It looked sort of like a shimmering light and maybe like some hair. And the weird thing was though, her hair was actually tucked up in a hat. And you could see that in the selfies that she took before. It wasn't like she had this hair that was out and around. So very weird. So now if this isn't weird enough, Bruce later that night gets an email from his nephew who was describing something weird that happened that same evening over at the high school. So remember that matching or marching band that we Mm -hmm. were hearing? Well, I guess all the kids were out in the field practicing. So probably 30 to 40 kids. And all of a sudden they see a light in the sky. It was like a candle orange light and it was waxing and waning just above the skyline. And the band conductor, they just, they all stopped and they watched it for a couple of seconds until it disappeared. And this event happened around six or seven, which oddly enough was around the same time that Joan saw that weird plastic wrap blob thing. So it's worth noting that the school is only half a mile as the bird flies from the hunting land. No, so, no. Yeah. <laughs> I'd be done. <laughs> yes. She did say that she bought a red knock blind after this. I don't know what that is. So Again, I don't know either. Yeah, shout out to the hunters out there. Um, leave a leave a message or leave a leave a comment for us so that we can know what a redneck um hunting blind is. But she says that that's all that she'll do now. She like she can't just like sit out in the woods anymore. This like freaked her out so much. So that brings us to our next story. Now, this story takes a very weird turn. So these first ones, it's kind of like, I don't know, weird noises, some weird plastic wrap blob thing, but they never really got a good sight of whatever it was that was out there in the woods. But this one, this one they do. So this next story is from 1993 and it takes place in Tennessee. And Tennessee, Kentucky. It's kind of like on the border between the two. And this story is from Beasts Between the Rivers by Martin Groves. And this is a book where he told about his experience. And he actually kept it under wraps until the man that he experienced it with passed away because they were so worried about ridicule. And I could kind of understand because just keep listening. So Martin was a police officer. He had several years of experience on the job, and he was also a very experienced hunter. Again, someone who is used to being in the woods and used to what is normal out there. And he also doesn't sound like very much of a paranormal enthusiast or anything like that. So it was spring turkey hunting season, and it was just getting started. So Martin and his partner from the police force, Harry, decided to take a camping trip to take advantage of the hunting season. So they decided to go to this place called the land between the lakes recreation area. And I lived in Kentucky for a few years and I actually have heard of this place before. It's a huge park about 171,000 acres. And it's located between Lake Lake Barkley and Kentucky Lake. And 
it's pretty cool. If you look it up on Google Maps, the two lakes are actually connected around the top. So it makes like this little peninsula of land in the southern part of Kentucky and extends into Tennessee as well. So there's this one major road that cuts through it that's called the Trace. And that kind of comes up in the story. So they find the super isolated campsite about two miles off the Trace, which is that main road again. And they get all set up. And the next day they split up to go hunting. So Harry and Martin agree to meet up around dinner time back at their camp. So Martin crosses across the trace. And as he's looking for a good hunting spot, he comes across a truck and it's another hunter. And they strike up a conversation as fellow hunters. His name's Bubba, of course. Kentucky. I, love that. <laughs> I know. I know. When, when they said that, I was like, of course, of course it's Bubba. <laughs> And he is a firefighter. So already they kind of have something in common. They're both first responders. So they, you know, start up this conversation about hunting turkeys. And Bubba's about to head off in his old Nissan truck when he mentions to Martin that he needs to be sure that they keep their food up off the ground at night. Because I guess Bubba had been having some type of an issue with animals getting into his campsite and like rummaging around at night. So he takes off and Martin goes back to hunting. And ultimately, he's about two miles away from their campsite, he estimates. Now, the woods out here is super thick, and he's been out there camping for most of the day. So he starts to head back towards camp when he notices, once again, that uncanny silence, the Oz effect, which never equals good things. So, anywho... Suddenly, the silence is broken by the sound of something metallic, and it certainly does not belong in the dense wilderness. He said it's kind of like a sharp sound, like a metal gate opening or closing on cement, which this detail's interesting because it's described again in other paranormal cases that we'll get into on further podcasts. And when you listen to a lot of this weird paranormal stories, you'll find these paradigms parallels, you know, like the Oz effect or the metallic noises or, you know, the car door slamming. They're just kind of these little things that seem to be popping up in other parallel stories, um, just that run the gamut of material. So I just find this fascinating. And anyway, in addition to the scraping noises, he hears this whistle all of a sudden. And he said it's a sharp, shrill whistle. And it doesn't sound like anything natural. It sounds more like something you would use to call a dog, maybe. So suddenly he sees something. And it looks almost like a man at the top of the ravine that's kind of pacing him. It looked almost like a man in a ghillie suit, he described. Now, again, not being a hunter. I didn't know what a ghillie suit was. Erin, do you know what that is? I know what a ghillie suit is. (laughs) So for people that don't know, it's like, think swamp man, like, like a suit covered with like fake vegetation, like something you'd picture like a sniper wearing, right? Like, am I describing it correctly? Yeah. And honestly, I probably know that from my husband playing video games. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Yes. 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 So I'm surprised you don't know that either. I know what you're talking about now. I guess I never knew it was called a ghillie suit. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So you can picture this person, like if they're crouched down, they basically look like a bush or like a stack of weeds. So this human bush dude was walking along the the ravine 
And it was almost like he was intentionally staying just far enough away where he was out of sight. So like he could just barely see it, but he could hear it. So along with this bushy guy thing, he sees these four-legged creatures kind of pacing along with him, almost like a, like a couple dogs. And they looked sort of like dogs, but the, the man and the dogs and everything, they just all seemed too big. They didn't seem like the right size for how far off they were to be, you know, your standard human in a weird bush suit and dogs. But, you know, he's trying to kind of keep his wits about him and he just thinks, okay, it must just be another hunter. Um, but yet again, there's no noise. The only noise that he's hearing is these people, you know, or this, this guy in this weird suit, everything else, birds, even the occasional like airplane that you'd hear overhead, the wind through the trees, there's nothing. The only thing he hears is these creatures on the ravine and that weird whistling noise. So Martin's kind of freaked out at this point, you know, and he decides I'm just going to get back to camp. He actually stops at one point and he waves at this bush guy thinking, okay, well, I just want this person to know that I see them and stop being creepy. And as he does this, he just doesn't see it again. It's like it disappears behind a tree and then it just doesn't come back. And he's like, okay, that's weird. And he nopes his way out of there and mm -hmm. gets back to camp. <laughs> so he meets up with Harry and Harry's freaked out. And Harry begins to explain to him how he was harassed by some hunter in a ghillie suit the whole time. Ugh. Yeah. He also was hearing like these weird noises, the, the whistling, the metal noise. And then he also noticed, and I don't know when I read this in the book, it kind of, it, it wasn't supposed to be funny, but it kind of made me laugh. He was sitting there and all of a sudden a corn cob <laughs> flies at him and it's like half eaten. And he was kind of like, it was like this sort of dramatic moment. But it was a corn cob and that just kind of made me laugh. But, you know, in, in their defense, it it didn't make sense. Like the, the, the only place that someone could be concealed and throw this corn cob from was way too far away for the corn to be lobbed with such force. Every time you say corn, I feel like I'm losing it a little more. I know. The corn song. Yes. We'll link to the show notes. <laughs> <laughs> you have to hear the corn song if you have the best song. Yes. So they make dinner and they just kind of try to put this whole thing behind them and it starts to get dark and they're sitting there and a big stick falls right behind Harry, which it could be a tree or whatever, but then a giant rock comes hurtling at them. And now they feel pretty strongly that someone must be out there. So they kind of, you know, have this like knowing look like, what is, what is that? You know, look at each other without saying anything. And as they do that, they see this very faint little orangey glow, almost like the end of a cigarette. Like it lights up when someone, you know, inhales mm -hmm. from behind a tree and Martin leans over to Harry and he goes, you see that there's someone out there. So they yell that they're police officers, they're armed and whoever it is needs to back off. So after this, Everything goes silent again. That Oz effect again, effect again kicks in and another boulder comes hurtling into their, into their camp. And then a second little light appears. So at this point they're thinking, okay, this is enough. This is dangerous. I don't know what this is, but something is going on. 
So they grab their guns and they decide that they're going to go confront whatever this is. And as soon as he has this thought, he's hit with this feeling. He said it feels like an electric or intense reverberation. And it actually makes, makes him lose his breath and he has tunnel vision and he's just overwhelmed by this intense sense of like horrible dread, which is something that comes up in Bigfoot sightings. Um, that's oh, really. Yes. That's something that's described where they'll see it and they just immediately are like, something's wrong. Like this is the most scary event that's ever happened. Almost more so than seeing it. It's like a feeling that comes along with it, I guess. And I've never heard that. Yeah. And so this is happening to him and he, um, sees that now something else has entered their camp and it's on two legs and it's half black half gray with this intense blacker than black eyes that just fill him with a sense of evil. It's got the face of a wolf or maybe like a dog and the body's more like a human and its teeth are snarled into a smile. Oh my gosh. No, no, I know. So Martin is just completely frozen. He can't move, but he knows like this is bad. So not knowing what he can do, he begins to pray. And it was the only thing he could think to do. So at first it was just like in his head. And then suddenly he's able to move his lips and suddenly he's able to move his mouth. And now he's actually praying out loud. And it's like this praying was somehow releasing the hold that this thing had over him. And now whether you believe that it was the power of prayer or perhaps it was just a distraction or the confidence that he was doing something that was working, whatever it was, he notices that the thing seems to be feeding off his fear. So as the fear dissipates, he's able to really get his wits about him again. And he draws his gun, which happens to be his surface weapon. But he pauses for a moment because he's now suddenly thinking, is is this a creature? Or is this maybe just some guy dressed up as a wolf? But In that moment that he pauses, Harry grabs a double barrel shotgun and he shoots twice at this thing and they hear this hair raising scream and a thud. So like they for sure hit something, but then they lose sight of it. So they run to their truck. Harry hops in the cab and Martin is in like the truck bed and they're silhouetted against the lights, like the taillights. I just picture like these red lights. And there's the silhouette of this giant creature that's about six to seven feet tall. And it's just tearing apart their camp. It's ripping apart tents, just total rage mode, letting out these horrible shrieks. I'm sorry. Why would you jump in the truck bed? Why wouldn't you go in the truck? That is the last place. You're totally open. And if someone comes at you from above, you can't get away. No kidding. Yeah. 100%. I would be in that truck bed, like on the floorboard, just trying to like, I don't know, (laughs) curl myself up into my belly button. (laughs) So yeah, they, they didn't want to leave without reporting this event, which I find commendable um, because they were concerned about this thing hurting somebody else. So they find this big hill a few miles away and they just park right in the middle of it. And it's this big clearing. They feel like they can see everything around them. So they spend the night there and Martin gets out of the truck bed to climb into the cab and he sees this huge claw mark on the side of the truck. So 
like to your point, Aaron, <laughs> you yeah. need to be inside the cab. So yes, note for the future. If you ever see a big creepy creature in the middle of the woods, get inside your vehicle and lock the doors. Mm-hmm. So they finally report it. They go to report it the next morning. And when they head to the ranger station, there's like this huge police presence there. The DNR, the forestry service, police, search and rescue dogs, the whole nine yards. And Martin actually runs into someone that he knows and he's able to get like the details of what was going on. So remember that guy, Bubba, who was driving that old Nissan? Yeah. Well, they found him mulled to death. No, Bubba. Bubba. I know. Rest in peace, Bubba. They figured it was like a bear or something. But they're trying to find this bear with tracking dogs. And I guess the tracking dogs would just like stop and they wouldn't go any further. And I guess Bubba's camp was just completely torn to shreds. And there's a little bit of weirdness here. I'm going rogue from my my outline notes here a little bit. Um, But when he goes to try to report this, the first police officer that he goes up to is really just trying to like shush him. He's like, you didn't see anything. You know, you guys must've just been drunk. It must've been a bear. Like the guy really didn't want to hear it. And it really wasn't until he found this guy his, that he knew that they actually like listened to him. So there was kind of like this weird trying to shut him down sort of. And then oh. after that, um, that guy that he knew that worked there um, that was on site, you know, after afterwards, he said that for many months after that, they actually shut down one of the trails that led out to that area where they found Bubba. And it was just shut down for a long time. They don't know why nobody could go in there. So another little like bit of weirdness to go along with this. Hmm. So I cannot remember the name of the area, but there's an area in the country that um, has a lot of skinwalker sightings. And I remembered watching a few videos, um, probably on TikTok, where people say, if you think you heard something, no, you didn't. If you think you see something, no, you didn't. And um, it basically like, no, you you don't talk about it. So it just kind of reminded me of that. You know, that's interesting because um, I'm actually in preparation for an upcoming episode. I've been listening to um, Hunt for the Skinwalker and um, they talk a lot about the mythology that goes along with skinwalkers and it's you don't talk about it. You're not supposed to talk about it. So that is fascinating that you say that. There's actually, so I have alluded to this, but we are in Wisconsin. And Aaron, did you know that we have our own like weird beast lore here in Wisconsin that's kind of similar to this? Is it the one by Holy Hill? I don't know where that is, but it's the Beast of Bray Road. Oh, yeah, I don't. So, I'm not sure if it's the same thing I'm thinking of. Yeah. So Linda Godfrey, who is an author who's covered a lot of paranormal things, a lot of like cattle mutilation stuff. She actually got her start talking about the Beast of Bray Road, which is this weird bipedal, hopefully I'm pronouncing that right, walks on two legs, dog man thing. And I think that there's also similar, like there's a similar sighting of something like that out in Michigan too. So, you know, that's 
it kind of like a common thing that people see and it's creepy because I don't want to see one. <laughs> no, I never, I never want to see any of them. They can just nope. be on their own. Agreed. So this next story, it couldn't really be any different, but there are some parallels again in it. There's like these threads that kind of weave themselves through all of these stories that are weirdness in the woods. So this one, and I have to say, if this is real and, you know, I've been pretty deliberate about how I choose these stories. And these are stories that have had real research done on them. You know, I might not have cited all of it here or mentioned it, but there is like corroborating evidence that's gone along with these. It's not just, you know, some wacko telling a story. And I mean, if they are, they're very convincing wackos who have corroborating evidence that, you know, something has happened. But this next one, man, if this is weird, if this is real, this is the weirdest story I have ever heard. So this one takes place in a place called Cisco Grove back in 1964. And it's in an area of the Tahoe National Forest, which is in the Sierra Nevada mountain range. And I'm guessing it's like the foothills. So our character is Donald Shrum. I hope I'm pronouncing that right. Donald Shrum. I'm just going to call him Donald. Um, he was 26 years old and he went camping with three other hunters. So this area is interesting in itself. It's actually super rich in mineral deposits and it's where the gold rush happened, um, you know, out in the California area back in the day. And it's very rich. I wish I could give you a date. I'm actually a history major and I should know this, but I don't, I don't know, maybe like 1849, like 49ers, I'm guessing, but the gold rush, you know. Okay. Um, so this area is very rich also in uranium deposits, which is interesting to note because it's a common feature in like UFO weirdness that there's commonly mineral deposits and quite commonly uranium is something that pops up again and again. So very interesting. Another thing that I feel like I'm learning a lot on this episode. (laughs) Well, good. (laughs) So Anyway, it was it was fall and they were planning on bow hunting. So they were in the region of Lock Levin Lakes, which is about three miles south of Route 40. Um, I did not look this up on Google, but that would be good information if you're going to. So I hope someone out there does. <laughs> they were all very experienced hunters. Again, seems to be a theme here. And they take off deep into the forest where I think they were trying to like push some deer out of the woods. I think that there is a hunting term for this, but I don't know what it is. And I'm sure people are like yelling the word at their device right now, (laughs) but it's when you all like walk in a direction and try to like push out deer. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah. I I don't, I don't know what the word is. (laughs) Okay. Um, so I'm sorry. I am not up on my hunting terminology, but Anywho, in the process of doing this, somehow Donald becomes separated from the rest of the group and he keeps walking and he realizes that he is just not going to make it back before dark. So he decides he needs to hunker down for the night, which I give him a ton of credit for. I'd be like, I'd like to say that I'd have the sense to be like, okay, I need to stop walking because it's dark and I'm going to get myself more lost. But 
I am pretty sure that I would have been like, nope, got to find my way back. I would have gotten more hopelessly lost and then I'd be impossible to find. (laughs) Yeah, same. (laughs) Yes. So anyway, he is not that guy. (laughs) He's clearly more equipped to handle this situation than I. So he finds this tree that's sort of a shelter near like this outcropping of rock and a cliff. And he knows that there's large prey in the area. So he climbs this tree to find some safety and then secures himself to the tree with a belt, which is kind of badass, I gotta say. Yeah. So this is where he plans to hunker down for the night. So after a few hours, he sees this light on the horizon and it's moving towards him. So it was about 9 p.m. and the light was moving from east to west and kind of bobbing up and down, almost like if you saw someone walking with a flashlight, but clearly like a lot bigger and it's in the sky. So not a flashlight, but that kind of movement. So this light bulb goes off in his head and he's thinking, you know what, maybe this is a helicopter and they're looking for me. You know, maybe my friends pulled through and they, you know, got someone to come out and look for me. So he hops down off the trees and he decides to set three signal fires about 10 feet apart on some rocks. So it looks really deliberate and they'll know that, you know, it wasn't just like some random fire and he stands in the middle of it and he's waving his arms. And as he's doing this, red flags kind of start to pop up because as the light gets closer, he notices that there's no noise. It's like, yes, (laughs) it's like impossibly quiet. And it's super dark, darker than dark. Like it's absorbing the light. And as it gets closer, he must have this, I immediately regret this decision moment. So that darker than dark UFO, like comment thing is also really common in some of these UFO sightings that they, they describe it as like it was absorbing the light. It was so impossibly dark. So I found that kind of fascinating too. That's very interesting. I know that this year... Um, maybe like a couple years ago, they came out with like the blackest black, like every once, every few years, they say something like that, but it's very expensive if you want to buy it and like paint with it or whatever, but it, it, you'd have to look up pictures of it. So I can give you like a link to it and it it looks very bizarre because it looks like it's just a hole. Oh, weird. Yeah. There's no, like light doesn't reflect off of it. It's it's so it's, it's kind of reminding me of that. Wow. That's interesting. Yeah. Send me that link. We'll link to it in the show notes. Black is blacker than black. Yes. Sounds like the name of like an, like a song or something. (laughs) It does. So as this light gets closer, this poor guy realizes that it's just this huge cigar shaped craft And there's three panels in the front that were sort of like iridescent or shiny. And the light was actually a headlight or something, (laughs) probably more technologically advanced than a headlight on the front of this craft. So suddenly there's this flash that comes out of the middle panel and out pops a smaller UFO. And Donald refers to this as like a lander or like a scout UFO. So this poor man just flags down UFO and now it's not just one UFO, but it's two. (laughs) So, and he's lost in the woods and he's tied to a tree. So not his best day. Of course. So this whole, during this whole encounter, this big UFO is just kind of like looming over the whole thing. So the lander comes near him and then it kind of disappears over the crest of a hill. So several minutes passed. Donald hears this crashing noise coming through the brush and it's very 
thick brush and these six humanoid creatures pop out of the brush. And these beings are like surveying the land or something. It seems like they're very interested in like the trees and the grounds and the rocks, especially these manzanita trees. They seem very interested in them. Now, if you look up a picture of these trees, which I suggest you do, they're kind of like your stereotypical creepy tree. Um, they've got really large branches that are like close to the ground and they seem like a good climbing tree, like the type of tree you'd want to climb. But what's more interesting about it is that they've, they're used a lot in folk medicine. Um, I guess they have some medicinal qualities to them. So according to Wikipedia, the berries have been used to treat bronchitis and kidney problems. Um, they, the leaves of the manzanita also have many medicinal purposes. Chewing the leaves of the manzanita tree into a poultice can, I don't know what that is. Again, I'm reading this, can treat open sores and ease headaches after application. So anyway, it's just kind of interesting to note that they were paying close attention to this manzanita tree. Weird humanoid creatures, they have these huge half dollar size eyes. And he says that they, it's hard to tell, are they actually the eyes because they're super black or are they some type of helmet that kind of look like a welding mask? Now, again, this is another thing that pops up in other UFO and cryptid sightings, the big welding goggle looking glasses, specifically in the Kelly or the Kentucky goblin sightings, which I'll talk about in another episode, but just interesting to note that that general description is another thing that has popped up in a completely different area. Hmm. So the creatures were short, they were maybe five feet tall and they made coos and these strange noises to seemingly communicate with each other. So this is weird, but it gets weirder. So suddenly Donald sees this thing approaching from a different direction and it's wait for it a robot. Okay. <laughs> I know. I I don't know about this. Now, this detail, like if this is made up, man, how stupid. <laughs> a robot. But if it's real, like what? You know? So it describes it as metallic. It has this huge hinged jaw and his hands. He described kind of like hands on a suit of armor. Like they were sort of like they had joints or something. And the eyes are this reddish orange, like flashlight colored eyes. Now the thing comes up to the base of the tree and then it just stands there. And he said, it's almost like it's receiving directions like it's movements throughout the course of this whole encounter. It's almost like it'll do something and then it stops almost like it's waiting to receive information. So we can't really tell if it's like an actual live thing or if it's mechanical, but it doesn't seem to be under control of itself. Like something else is thinking for it or controlling it or telling it what to do. Donald notices that it goes over and it brushes out what was left of those signal fires. So this kind of like sticks in his mind that it, it got rid of those fires. It smothered what was left of them. So it comes back to the tree and it, it raises its hand to its mouth and it puffs out this white vapor and it makes Donald pass out. Oh. So <laughs> what is also just what's happening? I know. So he's strapped to the tree. So he didn't fall out of it. He just kind of like hangs there. <laughs> 
and <laughs> he doesn't get the feeling that he was out really all that long, but he wakes up and the robot does it again. So this kind of <laughs> keeps going on where he's just shot with gas and he passes out and then he wakes up again. So somehow he manages to grab one of his arrows. Cause again, remember he was bow hunting yeah. and he shoots it at this robot thing and the robot just, or the arrow just bounces off of it, but the robot does retreat, but then it would come back again. So it's Donald starts shooting arrows. And when they are gone, he recalled how the robot thing seemed to not like fires. So he just starts setting shit on fire. So he's throwing down lit items of clothing, like a hat, a jacket, his wallet, cash, just like everything and anything that he can find <laughs> besides his shoes, jeans, and a shirt, which at this point, really, what do you have to lose? I would just burn it all. You're all yeah. going to sound insane. I mean, you've, <laughs> you've seen six humanoid creatures, a robot that keeps puffing gas at you. I mean, why not just be naked too, you know? <laughs> Oh, yeah, for sure. But also, I don't think I'd want to be naked around aliens, potential that's aliens. That's true. I mean, I think that that's usually what they end up doing. I mean, that's that's the stereotypical getting probed by an alien story. Yeah. <laughs> so maybe you have a good point. <laughs> so now he's burnt everything besides the clothing that he feels like he needs. So he starts just like throwing random stuff. So he throws like some coins. I mean, they must not have burnt. So <laughs> he started throwing them at him. <laughs> He throws a metal canteen and every time this robot would just kind of like retreat and then come back and it would sometimes pick up the item and look at it, like trying to determine if it was a value or not, and then just like chuck it behind it. So these little humanoid things at the same time are not really doing much. At one point they try to like jump up and like get to him, but they can't figure out how he got up the tree, which was actually jumping up on a boulder and then pulling himself up. So I mean, it doesn't seem like they're really the sharpest, you know, <laughs> creatures ever, <laughs> which is working to his advantage. Finally, Donald sees the second robot approaching. So now of there's course. two. Of course. Yes. So the two creatures approach and they sort of like, oh my gosh, they like look at each other and this like arc of light goes between them kind of like a welder's arch or something it's gonna and be like this... a romance thing <laughs> and then this huge dose of gas comes out <laughs> and this time he drifts off when he wakes he knows he's been out for a while but thankfully the belt held him to the tree and he noticed another thing too he's alone and the sun's out so Donald isn't sure he was in the tree all night long. He wasn't sure if he was like taken and replaced at one point. He just really has no idea. But what's interesting about this case is for one, one of the other hunters that was out that night said that he saw the same strange light in the sky and around the same time. So it does seem like that corroborates at least that part of Donald's story. The other thing that's fascinating to note is there was physical evidence. So like the canteen that was dropped that the robot apparently picked up and discarded. So the air force actually came out and investigated. So this was part of a larger investigation actually, you know, followed up upon by the U S government. So even though this is like crazy, there was an actual investigation and I highly recommend, um, I will link to the book in the show notes um, that this came from. I'm just going back here real quick to find it. 
It was Aliens in the Forest, the Cisco Grove Encounter. And then another really good source I used for this was the Astonishing Legends podcast. And they talked about this story and really did a deep dive as they do. I mean, they really, I don't know if you're familiar with that podcast, but they do like a very deep dive on everything. And they talk more about what happened after this encounter. So, I mean, as nuts as this sounds, there's some, like there's someone out there, the powers that be found it you know, plausible enough to actually follow up on it, which is fascinating. Mm -hmm. For sure. Like I, and can you imagine if this, if, <clears throat> if this is all true, like if I were an alien, this is the type of thing I do the weirdest freaking thing possible because you'd think they're never going to repeat this. And if you they know do, what? no one's going to believe them. Yes, there is actually. So again, and I, if anyone is enjoying this podcast, like strap in because there are so many stories that are just like that. Like there's just something about it that is just so weird that it makes you go, this can't possibly be true. And there's part of me that wonders if that's like somewhat intentional. So, you know, I, I don't know. Or, you know, another theory that I've heard is that our brains can only understand something that we have some basis of background with. So like a robot is like something that's already like in our zeitgeist, like it's something we can draw upon. So when you're seeing something that's absolutely unfathomable, maybe mm -hmm. our brain has to put it into some sort of like context that makes sense. You know, yeah. So that's another theory that I've heard. That was crazy. But I have one last story for you. And this one is probably not just my favorite of all of these, but my favorite like otherworldly abduction case. So this next case takes place at Devil's Den, which is a national park out in Arkansas. And just a side note, there's a bunch of weird missing person cases, like missing 411 style cases out in this place. And some of them are just like bonkers. I'm going to get into them in another episode. But so this this location has just a lot of weirdness associated with it. This story was brought to us by Terry Lovelace, and he's a veteran of the Air Force, and he's a former assistant attorney general. So not the kind of guy that's just going to be like making stuff up, at least you'd hope. And this guy actually sat on this story for a long time. He was really worried about what this was going to do to his career if it ever came out. But then there was some weird stuff that happened to him and it kind of got the ball rolling on these memories that he felt like he just needed to get it out. So we'll get to that. Um, but that's kind of who he is in a nutshell. His story starts back in 1977 and Terry was an EMT in the Air Force. And he was stationed at Whitman Air Force Base. One day, his best friend, Toby, mentions that they should go camping, which unlike the people in the other stories. So like the main theme that we kept talking about were like big outdoorsy people, love the woods, love hunting, love camping, love all those things. That was not these people. <laughs> so the fact that he even brought up wanting to go camping was like kind of weird because they were just not outdoorsy people. One of the things that kind of made Terry go, okay, you know, maybe we can do this is Terry loved photography and he was really getting into like wildlife recording. And so he warmed up to the idea of this camping trip, 
But then it got weird. They became kind of obsessed with this whole trip. They were researching. Terry buys a new camera. So it's kind of like me with a new hobby (laughs) where I'm like, hey, I think I'm going to start a podcast. And next thing I know, I'm like, yeah, I'm going to do this. (laughs) So I can kind of, I can relate. (laughs) So anyway, they're planning this trip for months. So I really picture these two dorks like ready to set out on a camping trip. (laughs) Neither of them had ever been camping before. So keep that in mind. So they start this seven hour drive to this park and about three hours into it, Terry realizes he actually doesn't have his camera, which was the whole reason why he was going to go on this trip. (laughs) So also me. Yes, exactly. (laughs) This would be us going on a camping trip. (laughs) So the only thing was, is I mean, at this point, they can't turn around. They're already three hours into a trip. It would add another six hours. So he decides, you know, we're just going to have to do it. So they carry on. They reach the park without the camera. And the first thing they do is they head to like this main camping area. And, you know, it's like when you think of a campground, that's where they're at. And for some reason, Toby's like, you know, let's find a place more secluded. If we're going to go camping, like, let's really go camping. And Carrie's like, yeah, er, not Carrie, Terry <laughs> is like, yeah, let's do that. Let's find a better place. So they drive on and they keep going out in the woods, like deeper and deeper. And eventually this road becomes a trail. And now the trail actually has a chain across it saying, you know, don't enter all, or don't enter. This is federal forestry service area. And for whatever reason, Toby's like, you know what? Let's go. Let's keep going. Like, screw that chain. We are in this. Keep in mind, this is their first camping trip ever. (laughs) So they're essentially going to break onto this trail and drive until they literally can't anymore. And they find this spot in the middle of a plateau that's like in an open meadow. And they're quite literally in the middle of nowhere. They first get there and they decide to take a hike and they didn't even set anything up yet. So they hike about three miles into the wilderness and then they decide to just sit down, which I don't know about you, but I've never been compelled to just like sit down in the middle of the woods. No. And the next thing you're going to say is everything went silent. Yes. Yes. (laughs) Not quite. They sit down in the middle of nowhere and it's like the scene from like the Wizard of Oz where they're in the poppy field and they just get like really sleepy. And the next thing he knows, it's about to be dark and they're literally in the middle of the woods and they have nothing set up. So they're trying to like book it back to the camp, not really knowing what just happened. Like they didn't even really have a chance to like process like what is happening? You know, why did we just fall asleep in the middle of the woods? So now I'm going to side note here. Aaron and I are having some technical difficulties, which it's me, it's my fault. <laughs> She's unstable. Apparently yes. it's saying that I am, I am have an unstable connection. So maybe it's just me. That's unstable. <laughs> but what's weird is that there's no reason why this should be happening. <laughs> no, no. So, I mean, my husband does podcasts constantly. Like this is, I am in our podcast room this we have a great internet connection I don't know why this is happening yeah so if there's weirdness uh, you know if if there's little things here and there that um didn't come through correctly and the we somehow missed it (laughs) we apologize but 
I don't know. It's just kind of weird that it's happening during the middle of this podcast. Oh, no. This And that's what's happening. It's going silent. You know what? I'm done. <laughs> this, is, this is too scary. Yeah, that Oz effect. I think we need to, like, run away. Run away. Yeah. <laughs> so, anyway, they, they did end up getting back to their camp. And they set up everything, like, in their truck headlights. And they realized... They forgot like everything, the hatchet, the firewood, the lantern, the flashlight, the pot, the food. They had the, like the pot that they were going to make the food in. They, and that's what I meant by pot. I just realized <laughs> in the list of things, it was the pot that they were going to cook their food in, not like weed. I don't know. Maybe they did forget that too. Maybe that's why yeah. they forgot all this. I don't know. <laughs> but all they had were hot dogs, which they like cooked on a stick or something. <laughs> and they managed to find some wood. And Terry swears he's not this big of an idiot. And I kind of believe him because, I mean, he became, you know, a, a lawyer and yeah. <laughs> and so, I mean, he's not like a complete moron and especially keep in mind, they were obsessed with this camping trip. Like mm -hmm. they bought stuff literally for this camping trip. So, I mean, I get forget forgetting like a thing or two, but if this is like your new obsession and you bought all these things and you are like psyched to get out there and use them, do you really think that you're going to forget all of it? Yeah, like I can see like when I pack for some vacation, I usually forget one thing. It's just a yeah. given. It's usually like, oh, I forgot socks or something like yeah. that. But I wouldn't forget a ton of stuff. Especially not like if you bought it for that vacation, you know, yeah. like that's probably going to be like the first thing you pack. So I just find that a little sus. That's weird. Anyway, they make dinner. They're sitting by the fire when all of a sudden they notice these three points of light just above the horizon and they form like a perfect triangle and they seem to be coming closer to them. And suddenly this blue light, almost like a laser or something emerges from the craft or whatever this thing is. And it seems like those lights that are stationary are attached to something almost like a black triangle. And this blue light starts scanning their stuff it's like it, it, the light slowly goes over the car and them and the tent. And what's even stranger is they're completely indifferent about it. Like instead of freaking out, which would be the normal reaction, they just kind of like watch. And Toby says, well, show's over and decides to go to bed. So the last thing Terry remembers is thinking that he really needed to keep his boots on, which again is weird. Oh, yeah. So suddenly Terry startles awake and he sees this super bright light and this like mechanical rumbling noise, almost like a train, you know, when it's passing. And he realizes everything hurts, like his whole body just hurts. He's in a massive amount of pain and his eyes are just kind of trying to adjust the light. And he looks at Toby and Toby's peeking out the tent flap. And there's these really bright multicolored flashing lights behind, like outside of the tent. And they're almost like camera flashes. They're so bright. So Toby tells Terry to like, shut up because they're still out there. So Terry looks outside the tent and he sees these little people that look almost like children, like milling around in the meadow. 
And he's like, why are there children out there? And he realizes there's this craft just hovering above the meadow and it's massive and it's black, blacker than black metallic. So Terry, Terry asks why there's a bunch of kids outside and Toby's like, they're not kids. They're not human. And they hurt us like, or hurt us. And Terry realizes that there's like tears streaming down his cheeks. So suddenly this beam of light emerges from the craft and one by one, the creatures like walk into the light and just disappear. And then it hits them. And Terry remembers something about that beam of light, just like turn on the flood switch of memories. And he remembers being sucked up into that giant craft and inside it was enormous. Everything was white or stainless steel. And there was about 50 to 60 people inside the craft with him, like humans. So Terry and Toby take off and they run to their car and they start heading home and they are just absolutely terrified. And that indifference that they had before is just gone. They are absolutely traumatized. And some point along the way, they stop at a gas station and they are just a mess. They go into the bathroom, they look at themselves in the mirror and their eyes are swollen, almost shut. Um, They're super sensitive to light. They're covered in sores and they're sunburnt everywhere. Like even in places that don't make sense, like their armpits, which would really be painful. And even more odd, they don't talk about it. They don't say a thing about what happened. And it feels almost like icky to talk about. Like there's just this like feeling like, you know, we shouldn't be talking about this. So he gets home, he heads to the hospital and they are majorly dehydrated, but they don't tell anyone what happened. They don't say anything about their encounter. They just received treatment from the hospital. I think they must've said that they were like lost in the woods or something. But all of a sudden, two men appear from the OSI, which is like an investigative arm of the Air Force. And they start interrogating Terry about what happened. Like, why were they there? Why were they on federal property? Why did they buy all this expensive camera equipment? And where's the film? So here's, yes, which is like, how did they know? You know? Yeah, that's what I was going to say. Like, Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like immediately they were just like, dude, you got to tell us what, what went down now. Terry gets into everything that happens after this, which is huge. I mean, there was this whole like campaign to keep Terry and his friend Toby separated to not talk about it. Um, and to really help them forget what happened. And I'm not going to get into all that just because of time, but I highly recommend Terry's book. It's, it's written really well. It's a good one to read. Some of these books are a little rambly. (laughs) There's one where like they repeat the same information over and over and it's a little hard to get through, but this book is really good and I highly recommend it. Um, It's called Incident at Devil's Den and I'll link to it in the show notes (laughs) and Really, it, it it's fascinating everything that goes into in his experience with the military after this. But so what I wanted to get into, though, is more what happens after this. So years go by and he kind of lets the whole thing go, but he takes up jogging in the 80s. So remember, this happens in like the 70s, he takes up jogging and 
he notices that after two miles, he gets this inflammation and numbness just above his knee. And he gets it checked out at the doctor. The doctor is like, you know, not, not a big deal. If it doesn't hurt, just don't worry about it. So, you know, he just continues on. Well, one morning in 2012, he, he gets out of bed and he actually can't walk. He's in so much pain that he can't even put weight on his leg. So he goes to the emergency room and they take tons of images of his knee and his leg. And he notices that he's kind of like drawing a crowd. Like the radiologist keeps like looking at it all puzzled. Other people coming in and looking at it. And finally, the, the doctor is like, were you ever hit with shrapnel? Like, you know, when you were in the military or were you in a car accident? Did anything ever happen that would have caused you to have, you know, some chunk of metal in your leg? And he's like, no, I don't think so. You know, I don't remember that. And the radiologist actually does a really thorough inspection of his knee and he can't find any entry wound. He said, there's always an entry wound when there's shrapnel and they can't find anything. I mean, they're going over his leg with a black light, everything. And what's even more strange is this chip of metal. It's looking like metal on the images that were taken. It is almost perfectly symmetrical. And it's got like two almost little wiry looking things sticking out of it. And it just doesn't seem like shrapnel. Like if you were hit by a piece of shrapnel, it would be weird that it would be like a perfect square. Yeah. So in addition to that, there's also this flower petal shape in his calf. And it's looking kind of like the consistency of bone um, on imaging. But I mean, we don't bone, we don't grow bone in the middle of our muscle tissue. So that in itself is weird. But then also it's very, again, very symmetrical. It's like this flower pattern shape. So they eventually say, you know what? It's a baker cyst and you just need to rest it. It'll go away. Not a big deal. So he thinks, you know, this is just really strange. So he goes and he actually has like, I don't know, my chart or something like that, where he can go mm -hmm. on and log onto his like medical record. And so he does this and he's able to pull some images and reports off of there. So he has them. Um, and then he, he feels compelled to go back on there later on and look at it again. And he asked his sisters, he said, you know, do you remember anything like this ever happening? And they're like, no. So he goes back and he looks and now all of a sudden there's nothing on there. The whole Ooh. correspondence is like, it's gone. There's no message of the chip in his leg. There's no message of anything being abnormal. It's just gone. What I find strange is, like I said, in all these cases, there are some parallels. They're in a secluded place, relatively on their own. Um, they're either an individual or just a few people. That Oz effect kicks in in almost all the cases. And in most of these cases, there was some investigation by an organization afterwards um, that takes place that, you know, looks deeper into whatever this event was. So it really makes you question as crazy and outlandish as some of these events are, it seems like someone's paying attention to them. It seems like, you know, our government is at least somewhat interested in what's happening. So I don't know. What do you think, Erin? Do you think it's all connected or do you think these are like separate things? 
I feel like there's definitely, honestly, the 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 Skinwalker stories, the stories of like those monster type things in the woods. I think those are separate from like alien alien like things. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? And those like alien stories freak me out. Um, <laughs> my my dad actually used to always watch those like um alien shows on the history channel oh, yeah. and i remember i'd like i like stay up late i'd watch a little bit of it like i'm scared <laughs> yeah <laughs> but um yeah those other like stories of like the beasts in the woods yeah those are terrifying to me oh. um but i feel like those could be um connected you know like there's so many mm-hmm. different stories of beasts and i feel like maybe it's all the same type of thing like maybe you know yeah it's funny that you mentioned the alien thing. My husband is huge into aliens. I actually might have him on a future episode. Um, he gets way into alien stuff. Um, and I don't know. I mean, I used to be, what do they say? And when you, when you watch a lot of like the paranormal stuff and research a lot of these weird things, they call it nuts and bolts you know, nuts and bolts, Bigfoot, nuts and bolts, alien. And that's meaning like, it's, that is what it is. You know, it is like this tangible real life thing, but then there's other people that think that it's more of like a metaphysical thing or, you know, an interdimensional thing. And, you know, I'm kind of more in that boat now. Like I am more in this boat of like, I think these things are all connected and I don't know that they're from outer space. I don't, I don't know where they're from. But I don't think it's as simple as it's an alien. You know, I think that there's areas where I think it's John Keel that says the veil is thin in some areas. And I think that that is kind of maybe what this is. Like maybe there are window areas or areas that are just more accessible by other things, (laughs) whether they're from another planet or whether they're from another, um, dimension or universe or something I don't know but I'm I'm more on the I think that they might all be connected road so I don't know I'm excited to circle back on some of these topics oh yeah I actually took some notes on things that I ideas I have for you to talk about during this I love notes (laughs) so well I hope that you guys all enjoyed this podcast and thank you for coming on this crazy wild um, journey into weirdness in the woods. Um, we used a lot of sources and we will link to all of them in the show notes, but some of the big ones were, um, missing 411, the hunted, um, beast between rivers by Martin Groves, um, in humanoids with Barton Nunley. That's a YouTube video, um, mysterious universe, um, their podcast, Anubis, um, mysterious universe, their podcast on the incident at devil's den. Um, the incident at devil's den, the book that was written by Terry Lovelace, um, astonishing legends podcast, the battle at Cisco Grove, and then Amazon, um, or a book that I found on Amazon aliens in the forest at Cisco <laughs> Grove encounter. So, um, shout out to all those sources. I highly suggest that you pick them up and look into them more because they are super interesting, but thanks again for going on this ride with us. And we can't wait to chat more about some of these crazy, weird, mysterious topics. Mm